0: Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. Well, let's go ahead and get started, shall we? Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to press pause on our study of the book of Colossians, and Lord willing, we'll return to that very soon. Uh, While you're turning there, I want to kind of prepare our minds uh, for what we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, Have you ever had a role model you know, somebody that you really looked up to, Uh, maybe you still have one, maybe you had one when you were a child. Um, I'll tell you one role model from Scripture that basically everybody looks up to is the Apostle Paul. He's always seen as this uh, titan of the faith, you know, this uh, Christian superhero. If there was a Mount Rushmore of the Christian faith, the Apostle Paul's face would undoubtedly be enshrined on there. Paul is known for his theological insight, his incredible faith, and his doctrinal profundity. But more than that, though, he's known as a man who is near to the Lord. We long to mimic our role model's skill, their their wisdom, their success. And in the case of the Apostle Paul, it's certainly no different We would do well to live a half measure of the commitment that he had to Jesus Christ. Yet, the one thing that brought him nearest to Christ in this lifetime was suffering. And it just so happens that that's the thing that we all vehemently reject. I would love to be like Paul. I just don't want to go through what Paul went through. But it's the suffering that Paul endured while he was in this body that brought him nearest to Christ. Paul knew Christ so dearly through his suffering. He told the Philippians that he counted everything as loss, as rubbish in exchange for knowing Christ Jesus. He wanted to share in Christ's sufferings and become like him in his death. He told the other apostles in the book of Acts that he didn't even count his life as worth anything as long as he could fulfill the ministry that Christ had given him. So with that in mind, with the role model of the apostle Paul, the example that he set before us, let us turn to this passage in 2 Corinthians 12, and we're going to be reading verses 7-7 through 10, I invite you to read with me. This is the word of God. So, to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, needing wisdom, needing guidance, Father, needing direction, And Lord, I pray that you provide that to us through your word this morning. I pray that I would be faithful to your word, not sharing my own wisdom or my own ideas or my own thoughts, but your word, God. May only the name of the Lord be known in this place. May your word bear much fruit in our lives for your glory. In your holy name we pray, amen. Now, as we look at the context of our passage here, I want to kind of fill you in with the uh, uh, verses that we, uh, there are before what we just read. We see here further evidence of, of Paul's suffering in this life as he describes this messenger of Satan, this thorn in his flesh that was sent to harass him. So in order to understand why it was sent, and here he mentions because of these revelations, in verses 1 through 6, what Paul is doing is he's detailing for us this incredible vision, this revelation that he had where he was actually caught up to the third heaven. It says that he was in paradise, and he heard such wonderful things there in paradise that he could not repeat them. Now, that's important. We're going to come back to that later. But he's, in order to keep him from becoming prideful and conceited because of these incredible revelations that he received, he was sent this messenger of Satan, this thorn in his flesh. So this is what we're seeing. and Now, it's understandable, right, that we would become conceited, that that anyone would become conceited, I mean, you you were caught up to the third heaven. And just so you know, what, what that essentially means is heaven itself, is that he was caught up to heaven. And it says he didn't know if he was in the body or outside of the body. But it's understandable how this wouldn't cause one to be prideful and then become conceited, right? But see, God would not allow that in his servant. So he sent him this thorn, this messenger of Satan, Now, we don't know what this thorn was for sure. Scholars and theologians have speculated uh, about what it is and taken good guesses, but it's not written for us in Scripture. And the truth is that we need not know what the thorn was. We just need to know what it was there for and what was accomplished through this thorn. Now, as we deal with our text, I want to focus on this word, conceited. I looked this up in our English dictionary, and conceited means excessively proud of oneself, having or showing an excessively high opinion of oneself, narcissistic. It's understandable that Paul could fall into that, right? I mean, he'd be walking around the market and like, you haven't been caught up to heaven. You haven't been caught up to heaven. You haven't been caught up to heaven. I have. But see, the Lord would not allow this prideful mentality. Because pride is so dangerous. It, it causes us to believe that we're better than other people. It causes us to feel as though we are independent. And not only do we need any, not need anyone, we don't need anything. Because we are self sufficient. It's that mentality that God would not allow in his servant. Pride is a cancer. It is the downfall of the greatest kings throughout history. And it is a detestable stain on the character of man. Pride keeps us from God. It keeps us from relying upon him because we believe that we've got it all together, that we're really something. It is conceit that filled the heart of Lucifer as he still resided in the heavenlies. It's pride that caused Lucifer to begin to admire himself as he was in the presence of the Almighty Alastair Begg says it this way, because you see, pride is woven into our DNA. We are prideful people. It is built into us. And Alistair Begg says it this way, that the pride is endemic and inherent in us. It is the undershirt of the soul. We put it on first, and we take it off last. What's most important that we understand about pride is that the Lord detests it. Proverbs 1525 says, the Lord tears down the house of the proud. It causes us to become puffed up on account of our possessions, our career, our relationships, our our work, whatever it is. And we begin to believe that we are our source, that, that we are the provider. We find our comfort and our peace from broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now, we don't have these incredible revelations like Paul did. Certainly none among us have been caught up to the third heaven and heard such wonderful things in heaven that we cannot repeat it again. But we do have plenty in our life that causes us to feel self-sufficient and as though we have no need of anyone or anything. For ministers, it's our charisma, our training, our hard work ethic, the the size of our church, our ability to work a room. For churchgoers, it's it's your lifelong church attendance. It's your faithful tithe record, your morality, the time that has elapsed since your last cuss word, or how many times you tell people, hey, I'm praying for you. For the average American, it's the skill with which you operate at work. It's your accomplishments and your accolades in your career field, your trophy wife or husband, the the savings account that you have, the the car parked in the driveway of that new home that you just bought in that new development part of the city. It's vacations to exotic destinations. It's your friends, how close-knit your family is. We all have something that causes us to feel secure in it instead of God. That something gives you confidence, and makes you feel as though you're secure in it. Pride will deceptively cause you to believe that you can live without God. It is when conceit looms that the Lord will discipline his children and he will enact measures to either protect them from conceit or to bring them down from it. See, this is what we see from Paul's life here, isn't it? He was in danger of becoming conceited. So God sent him a thorn. What a challenging thought this is. As stated earlier, we don't know for sure what this thorn in his flesh was, but we do know that it was severe. You see, this word here that Paul uses, that it was sent to harass him, That word literally means to strike with the fist. The idea here is that it it tormented him. It, It harassed him, and it caused him to suffer. What we need to learn from this word is that it was in no way pleasant. In no way was this comfortable or desirable. And it was bad enough that Paul pled three times with the Lord That he would remove it from him. It was a level of suffering that drove Paul to his knees, begging for God to remove it. It causes him to realize how very human he is and how desperately he needs God's help. This is what's happening in our world today. Everything is changing, restaurants are closed. Stores are closing. Schools are closed. The stock market's up and down. People are being quarantined. I mean, just look at how we're doing service this morning. This is all the evidence that you need to see that God is trying to get your attention. For too long, we as a nation, and even as the so-called church in this country have been far too independent of God. We don't ever say it, right? We don't. We would, we would never utter those words. We just drift further and further away from Him. It reminds me of when I was a teenager. Don't judge me, but I didn't learn how to swim till I was a teenager. I was learning, um, this youth minister was teaching me how um, to float and trying to ease me in. See, I was, I was petrified of, of the water. I didn't want to drown. And so I would get in the pool, and I would cling to the ledge for dear life. And I do mean for dear life, because I thought I would die. I was terrified of drowning in that water, even though it was three feet deep, and I was certainly taller than three feet But the more that I worked on it and I became confident in learning how to float, the further and further away that I would get from that ledge until one day I'm swimming back and forth and I have no need of that ledge any longer. You see, this is how it is with the Lord. We hit a crisis and boy, do we ever cling to him for dear life. But as time passes on, we drift further and further and further away. And because we are human, we need to be reminded that without God, we will drown. Those who have ears to hear and eyes to see are learning that lesson during this time. Some will go back to life as normal, sure. the rest of us, we will heed the warning that it is time to return to Christ. That we must repent of our independence of him. Paul Washer says, trials enter our lives to drive us to the place where we should have always been, clinging to Christ. Christian, this moment in time... Has a purpose. If nothing else, it is to remind you of your dependence upon the Lord. Now, listen, this is not to imply that we should not pray. It's not to imply that we should just accept the situation and just carry on and and muddle through somehow. No, we should definitely pray. Look at verse 8. It says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. We must be praying about this suffering that's not only entering into our lives, but the lives of others all around us. Our nation, our leaders, our, uh, the pastors of the community, all, the brothers and sisters of this church, we need to be in prayer. But I want you to notice what Paul prayed, though. He didn't rebuke his thorn. Are you hearing me? He didn't rebuke his thorn. He didn't speak to his thorn, telling it that it better leave in the name of Jesus. What we are seeing so much today is that people are praying and rebuking this so-called demonic spirit of COVID-19. And they're prophesying that this virus will go back to the pits of hell where it came from. People are praying the blood of Jesus over their household, believing that Christ's blood keeps away illness and disease. Have you ever had the common cold? Have you ever had allergies? Yeah, the, the blood of Christ is not designed to keep illness away. It's not a, a spiritual bug zapper that you put outside of your home and it zaps all the illnesses and disease from coming in. It's not how this works. As a matter of fact, if you are in Christ, you already have as much of the blood of Jesus on you as possible. You, don't, you can't get any more. Moreover, Christ did not spill his blood so that you could remain healthy and free from sickness, disease, or suffering. Scripture does not model for us to speak to our illnesses of any sort with any sort of expectation that we can scare these diseases off. As we see from our text, It's very possible that these are thorns in our flesh, messengers of Satan sent to harass us, to remind us that we need God. We can't do this alone. Again, this is not to imply that we shouldn't pray. Paul prayed. He prayed three times, this scripture says. He pleaded with the Lord. He begged God. He didn't rebuke his thorn. He didn't command God to do what he wanted. He pleaded and he begged that the Lord would remove it. Let's understand that prayer is not for us to get God in line with what we want him to do. It is for us to get in line with what God wants to do. Did you hear that? Prayer is not to get God in line with what we want to do, but to get us in line with what he wants. Paul prayed. God answered. Paul obeyed. And herein lies a major test of your faith. Will you happily accept What God's answer is when it isn't at all what you were praying for. Let's go further. Will you accept God's answer whenever you pray and he leaves you in the midst of suffering? God does want what's best for you. Make no mistake, God loves you. The thing is that we, we speak of the love of God in such a way that we think that God must want for me what I want for me. And that's just not the case. Well, Pastor, Psalm 37.4 says that if you delight yourself in the Lord, that he'll give you the desires of your heart. Yes, it does say that. But the thing about that is, the person who is delighting themselves in the Lord, it is more of the Lord that their heart will desire. God is not a magic genie trapped inside of a lamp that you rub with your faith to get him to do your bidding. You can't ask him for three wishes to be granted for all the desires of your wicked heart. This is not how it works. No, the reality is God does want what's best for you. And he knows that sometimes that means a thorn in your flesh sent to harass you. Why? Why? How? How can this be? How can a loving God allow something like that to happen? How is that even possible? God wants what's best for you, and what's best for you is God. Look at verse 9. God's response to the pleading of Paul My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God did not remove the thorn. God did something better. He caused Paul to endure. God granted Paul the most loving thing of all. And this is going to be challenging. But God granted Paul the most loving thing of all a very difficult situation that would drive him to his knees in recognition of his desperate need of the Lord. He drove him to his knees. He caused him to be driven to his knees in weakness, pleading before God, reminding him that he needs God. It's at that moment where many of us would say, no, that's not my God. My God is not like that. And we would continue on rebuking a thorn. We would continue on trying to cover our house in the blood of Jesus. But what was Paul's response? Therefore, in other words, because of God's answer, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so That Christ's power may rest upon me. Notice, Christ's power. Not because I'm so strong, because Christ is strong. You see, all along, we thought what we wanted to mimic in the role model of the Apostle Paul was in his incredible strength and his faith, his just unwavering faith in the Lord. But really what we need to mimic from the Apostle Paul is the realization that he had of how weak he is. Paul understood that it's not about his own strength, his comfort, his ease, or even his health that will get him through It is the power of Christ that is made perfect in weakness. Now, it doesn't matter what this weakness is for you. Maybe maybe it is poor health. Maybe you do get sick. Maybe you do get a terminal illness. Maybe it's a loss of a loved one. Maybe it's some other kind of suffering entirely. What matters is is that you allow your suffering to drive you not away from God, but back to Him. Christ is glorified in us when we choose Him above everything else. Above our health, above our prosperity, above our comfort, above our own desires, above what we want for ourselves above the way that we thought this was supposed to work out, above everything. And you see that suffering and hardships, they allow us the opportunity to understand how weak we are and how much we depend on Christ. Please learn this lesson. Sufferings and hardships allow us the opportunity to understand how weak we are and how much we depend on Christ. Our society says that you mature and that you are maturing the more independent and self-sufficient you become. But in the faith, in God's eyes, a Christian who is maturing is always becoming more and more aware of how ever dependent they are upon the Lord. It's not that we pretend as though this time in our country is easy. It's not. There is a lot of suffering and it hurts. And this won't be the last bit of suffering that we go through as people. There will be more. And we must be prepared. We can't pretend like this isn't a big deal. It is. But what this world needs is to see the bride of Christ choosing to worship and glorify our Lord despite of the tremendously difficult times that we are in. That our Our confidence in Him, our hope in Him, our love for Him, our desire for Him, that it is not dictated by our circumstances, by our situation, by our good health. That our focus, that the focus of our prayer is not, God, keep me healthy, but God advance your gospel. Lord, glorify yourself in the nations. God, reap a harvest during this time. That must be our focus during this tremendously difficult hour in our nation. That in the midnight sky of our suffering, the brilliant light of the sun would pierce through, illuminating everything. In verse 10, we see this displayed. Paul says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, calamities, and for our sakes, quarantines, shutdowns, viruses. For when I am weak, then I am strong. May we, along with Paul, kept from becoming conceited by seeing this moment in history as a sign that we are in desperate need of God. We need him. May God then meet our weakness with his strength. In this, God's grace is made manifest in us, not merely in his giving us strength, but in him granting us a moment to be pushed to our knees and understanding how weak we are. It is this that we see from Paul's life. He understood this. He didn't just understand it. He was content with it. Let us be of this same mindset. Let us be driven to our knees in weakness and desperation that the power of Christ may rest upon us. Let's pray. Precious Father, God, I, I entrust this word to you, Lord. God, I pray that Whoever needed to hear this, hears this, God. And that we would not shrink away from our our suffering, from, from hardships, God. But that we would see those as opportunities to glorify you in our bodies, God. May we be comfortable finding the reality that we are so weak and dependent on you and be driven to our knees before you, that your power may rest upon us, God. Be with us during this time. Lead us during this time. Grow us during this time. Most importantly, open the door for your gospel and glorify yourself among us. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Hey, thanks for tuning in to NLBC at Home. I pray that this message was a blessing to you this morning, and I actually want to take a moment to speak directly to those of you who have never come to know Christ for yourself. I want you to know that though these times are so uncertain and they seem to be hopeless, and indeed they are without Christ, I want you to know that that Jesus himself has paved a way for you to have hope. He has come to this earth and born as fully God and fully man. And he walked a perfect, blameless life, the life that you and I were supposed to live, but that we never could. And he went to the cross as a spotless, blameless sacrifice. And on that cross, He bore the sin of all who would come to believe. That means you and that means, I mean, that means you and that means me as well. He bore your sin on that cross, suffering under the wrath that you and I had stored up because of the sins that we have committed. He died on that cross, was resurrected on the third day, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. If anyone calls upon the name of Jesus Christ as Lord, puts all faith in him, repenting of their sins and turning to him in in complete faith, I want you to know that you will be saved. He'll give you a new heart with new desires And most importantly, you will be in right standing before him. Your name will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and your hope will be eternal and unshakable. I encourage you, if you've never done that, don't let another day pass you by. Do that today, right where you are, in your home, in your car, wherever you are. Call upon him as Lord today. Don't let another day pass you by. We'll see you again next week with NLBC at home. Grace, peace, and mercy to you all.